Hi. I'm glad you're here. Uh, <clears throat> I want to um, talk about this, this notion of uh, proof of God and um, build on maybe some of the thoughts that we were talking about last week. Uh, we call that talk, uh, What Math Says About God. And um, if you want to hear that, it might give you a, a, an extra dimension for this, but, but I'm going to summarize it and we're going to take it a little bit further and, and maybe apply a, a, what I think might be a, a, a unique perspective in understanding the, the whole notion of trying to grasp God, understand God. And I think that today is a, an appropriate um, day to discuss these things because today is Lagba Omer, and everybody knows that Lagba Omer really is celebrating two key things. One is the, uh, the Yurtzeit, the, the day of ultimate elevation of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, the author of the Zohar, which is the, the headquarters for the secrets of the Torah. <clears throat> and also it's the day that Rabbi Akiva's uh, 24,000 students stopped dying from a plague. And we'll see um, the connection between those two, those two uh, uh, historic events. And also what that talks about just in terms of the, the, the subject that I want to focus on, in terms of this notion of, of provability, proof, proof of God. And what I'd like to share is, is this sort of, for me, it was very much of a, a breakthrough idea. And I saw it in this book about the, the golden ratio. It's, um, it's a math book uh, by Mario Livio, who's a, a scientist. And uh, it's a very interesting book. I haven't read the whole thing, but just pieces. And, and it's filled with a lot of amazing information. And what I was struck by was how much math is coming to support the existence of God and, and how, how, how much it's coming to really validate the Torah's approach to our understanding of the universe. So, so the, the, the theological point, in other words, the, the, the Torah idea that, that I want to show you how it exists in a purely mathematical, purely logical realm, and how the two intersect. But let's just begin with the, the Torah idea first. The Torah idea is that God purposely created the universe in a way that he can't be proven. This was by design. This was by design. And he did this ultimately in order to preserve free choice. Because remember, angels have this amazing, vast revelation of godliness that we don't have. And so, but, but it's, a, it's kind of a mixed package. Because while they're able to bask in the ziva shechina, the rays of divine, heavenly, blissful light, at the same time, that very revelation immobilizes them. Meaning to say, they can't possibly go against God. Because their God is so openly revealed before them, they haven't got any free choice. We, on the other hand, live in a, in a, in a world of concealment. Remember, one of the great Kash Torahs, remember, we haven't, we haven't explained Kash Torahs in a long time, but Kash Torahs, Reb Shlomo, that's a category that Reb Shlomo said, a Kash Torah is something that you have to have in your pocket at all times. In other words, it's, it's a teaching that you have to know so well 
that at a moment's notice, you can whip it out and have, like, just say it over, right? So, so this is, in my opinion, this is a cash Torah, okay? Which is that the world, the word in Hebrew for world, olam, has the root, the root of that in Hebrew, ayin lamid men, means hidden. Because God is hidden in this world. In other words, the very word for world itself is talking about the hiddenness of God. On the other hand, don't think that there's less of God in this realm because God is hidden, because we know that even if you were to take the highest realm, what we call Olamatsilus, that's the highest of the worlds, right? That God is every much as present in this dimension as He is in Olamatsilus. So while He's concealed, He's absolutely saturating and He's absolutely everywhere and in everything. Okay? And again, I always want to mention because it's so important, don't think that because God saturates the world and God fills the entire world, that the world equals God and God equals the world. That, believe it or not, is another religion. Okay? God fills this entire world and He exists dimensions and dimensions beyond, 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 beyond. Okay? But anyway, what's the point? The point is that we have free choice. And that because God conceals Himself in this world, in this dimension, we have this awesome ability to choose to do the right thing. And that this is something that angels don't even have. This is why human beings are greater than even angels. Because we have this ability to make a choice to serve God that angels don't even have the choice to make. Okay, this is, so anytime you do anything, anytime you do anything, it's awesome. And you know, I just, uh, we were were really celebrating our friends uh, Ronan's recovery uh, yesterday and, you know, and and, uh, I was discussing it with someone and, you know, I just, I just want to zero in on this one point because it's so important. This is really on the level of pukuach nefesh, understanding this in your bones. This is on the level of saving a life, okay? Which is the following. You know, here's a guy who, like a, 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 a Hummer, a, a Humvee, rolled over his legs, okay? He didn't think he was ever going to walk again. And when he started to walk, he was walking just like, like inches, inches, you know? Like every, everything was incredibly difficult. Now, he, you, you would see him and you would think that he was never in an accident to begin with. But here's the point. Can you imagine he has a day of physical rehab and at the end of that day where he tried his hardest, he wasn't able to walk any faster, right? Which I'm sure there were many days, weeks, months of that, right? He tried his hardest, he did the program, and at the end he wasn't walking like a a, a regular person walks. So how easy would it have been for him to say, none of this is working? I'm going to throw the whole thing out. If I can't, in other words, listen to the logic. It sounds very good, but it's completely wrong. If I can't see the results of my efforts today, then therefore, I'm not accomplishing anything. 
Therefore, I'm throwing the entire thing out because why should I kid myself and waste my time? You see, life is very, very amazing. Life has its own rhythm. You know, like for instance, did you ever have this on the internet where you're trying to download something, right? And you know you have that blue bar that goes across? And it's sort of like it goes like a little bit, a little bit, and you're like, ah, this is taking forever. I'm giving up on this. And then the next moment it like jumps almost to the end. Have you ever seen that? So this is like our life. We put in tremendous amounts of effort, and if we don't see the results immediately, you can't give up. You have to keep on working it. Because this person who I'm describing to you now is walking around and running and jumping like everybody else. Now I'm going to give it to you in a, in a more classic form, this idea, okay? And this I heard in the name of the Vilna Gon. We know that Rabbi Akiva, right? We're talking about Rabbi Akiva's students living as of today, right? So Rabbi Akiva, like, when, when he was still kind of deciding to dedicate his life to Torah, you know, he, as of age 40, he didn't know how to read or write. So what, what was the turning point in his life? And by the way, you know, just something so strong to me anyway. It says that when he would see a Talmud Chacham, a, a, a big scholar, he would be filled with such, I don't know what the word is, like rage or something like this, that it said that he would want to grab him and bite him like a donkey. Now, a donkey is like, once it bites, it doesn't let go. And it's like very strong jaws. Now, how could it be that he would want, like, that's not a civil thing to do. Like you would think, it says, like, before Torah comes Derech Eretz. So certainly if he got Torah on the level of Moshe Rabbeinu, which is our tradition, that Rabbi Akiva is like on the level of Moshe Rabbeinu, certainly if he didn't have Torah, he must have been filled with the greatest Derech Eretz. Because otherwise, how could he have received the greatest Torah? So how could it be that this person would want to run up to a Torah scholar and to grab him and to sink his teeth into him and not let go? And it's not saying like, oh, well, really, that means he wanted to give him a big kiss. No, the opposite. He wanted to bite him. He wanted to hurt him. So how does this make any sense? So this gives you an insight into how complicated people are. Because he understood, whether intellectually or emotionally or maybe just on a soul level, he understood on some level his own greatness. And he was frustrated by the fact that he wasn't manifesting it in the world. He felt it inside of himself. And so when he saw someone else who was actually doing what he wanted to be doing, what he felt that he was capable of doing, it just like, ah, it became this like poisonous combination within him. So you have to understand something. You know, if you look at someone else and you're filled with a level of rage, ask yourself the question, is it because you're capable of something like this? And if that's the case, you have to start trying. But he thought, maybe it's too late for me. Maybe it's too late for me. So now listen to what turned him around. There was a a place that he used to walk by. And there was a rock. And the water would drip on this rock. And it would drip on this rock and drip on this rock. And he saw 
that the water, which is so soft, like you know, if a like a like if something uh, water drips on a rock, what kind of an impact can it make? Zero, right? So this water, this dripping water, made a hole through the rock. And he said, if my heart, which is like a rock, which is like stone, and water is compared to Torah, if water can penetrate this rock, then the Torah can penetrate my heart. But this isn't the point I wanted to make. Listen to, and I heard this from Rabbi Pesach Kron in the name of the Vilna Gon. Listen to the logical, we call it a duke, the logical inference that he made. Because this makes it much more here and now. This relates, this makes it much more real for us in terms of our own lives. This point, listen. He said, each time the water dripped on this rock, say Jenny, Jenny, could you? Each time the, the water dripped on the rock, you didn't see any difference in the rock at all. Do you hear that point? Each time the water dripped on the rock, you didn't see any impact or any difference the water had on the rock at all. And yet, he realized that over time, it was having an impact. That means that any effort that any of us do, even if we don't see the impact at all, even if it seems absolutely impossible that it will have an impact, it's having an impact. And so when he saw in the most improbable way how a dripping, a dripping stream can cut through an entire rock, he realized that there was hope for him. And that all of his efforts, even if they seem minor, even if you could discount them, even if afterwards he didn't see any difference than the way he was before he did the effort, that it was worthwhile and that it was worthy and that he had to pursue it. This is an amazing teaching. This is an amazing teaching. Because this is all of our lives. This is why when we say you can't get up, give up, you know, Shlomo, I have to thank you because I learned this Torah from you in the name of the Ger, the Sfas Emes, I think it was. Lech Lecha, when Hashem said, Lech Lecha, meaning go forth to Avraham Avinu, He was talking to every single Jew for all time. Don't stop. Yeah? yeah. Don't stop, don't stop, don't stop. Don't stop. That command is on all of us at all times. Because if you stop, how do you know that you're not in the middle of that process? Right? How do you know that blue bar isn't about to jump? How do you know? So I want to get back to this idea of proof. So you see, there's an amazing figure but let's just review the, the Torah point right now. The Torah point is that God deliberately created the world in such a way that He can't be proven. And you know, there are outreach programs and fantastic educational programs that are out there. They show you the, the Torah codes. They show you like amazing patterns within the Torah and how information about the future can be seen in the Torah itself. 
and they present this as proof of God. And, and to me, it's, that's a little problematic. Because as fantastic as these programs are, and as, as much as they've absolutely inspired people, and as much as they should continue and everything like that, I think that there's a slight... I think they go to one step too far in terms of saying that they're proving God. They're showing fantastic illustrations of the infinity of the Torah. But God preserves free choice for all of us every single moment of our life until 120. And so it's up to us, ultimately, to believe in God. Because God himself created the world in such a way that he can't be proven. And that's, that's important. That's important. Because to say, I'm going to prove God to you, there's a, there's a little taste of arrogance in that. Okay? We're going we're gonna to explain it more. But just understand that. Okay. Now, I saw, for me, an amazing validation of this. Again, we're talking about just math and logic right now, not theology, which is why this, this, this example was so powerful to me personally. And it's from the writings of Kurt Godel, who was an Austrian logician. And the author that I mentioned earlier, Mario Livio, said that these are among the most celebrated thoughts in all of logic, in the history of logic. And they're called the incompleteness theorems. And they say the following thing, that if you put down a mathematical formula, right, that in itself doesn't, isn't proof. In other words, there's, it's an illustration of something. And if you want to show that, give it a support to prove that it's true, you have to bring more evidence. But the problem is, the, the evidence that you bring, which supports the theorem, right, that in itself is not a proof of itself. And so in order to show that that's true, you have to bring even more evidence. And that evidence shows that it's true, but it's not a proof. And so it's ad infinitum. In other words, every new piece of support that you bring shows that it's accurate, but now you have to bring new support to show that the previous thing is true. And it never ends, and it never ends, and it never ends. Now, as a, as a result, we have, the, we have this amazing conclusion that, that derives from that, which is, comes from Douglas Hofstadter in this book, Godel Escherbach, The Golden Braid. And he says the following, that from this you see something amazing, which is that provability is on a lower level than truth. In other words, truth is higher than proof. Because here you have all these things where you're showing proof, 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 and you have to keep on bringing more proof, and you never have to stop bringing proof. And yet the truth is hanging in the air above it the entire time. But you can never hit that. So, so this is really a breakthrough thought. Because if math, which is the most concrete thing in the entire world, right? If you've got two, one apple and then I give you another apple, you've got two apples. Well, how do I know that's two apples? Because if you have 
you know, two apples and I give you another two apples, you have four apples. This system works. Yeah, but how do I know that? Because if I give you eight apples and I give you another eight apples, you have 16 apples. But how do I know that? Because, ah, never stops. Never stops. Now, the reason why this is such a huge thought is because in, in the society that we live in, if you want to show something that is true, you must bring proof. But what the incompleteness theorems, which again are the most celebrated theorems in all of logic, right? What this is showing you is that you can have truth without proof. All of a sudden we see that truth can exist and not be held hostage to proof. Or that there's no contradiction between something being true and that you can't prove it. And now let's return to the Torah thought. Because what did we begin by saying? That God deliberately created the world in a way that he can't be proven. And that you see that this idea has penetrated mathematics and logic. Now, just to put it in the here and now level, we're still reviewing, really, from last week, and then we're going to introduce some new ideas. I don't know that I ever heard Reb Shlomo say these words exactly, but he spoke this idea in different ways many, many times. Imagine you're with someone who you love very, very, very much, and you say to that person, I love you. But in order to say I love you to that person, you, you also have to bring documentation. <laughs> What kind of relationship is that where you say, I love you, but that doesn't mean anything unless you can, oh, look, remember last Mother's Day, here's the receipt, I gave you this necklace, right? And here's the birth certificates of our kids who, as you see from these tuition clear checks, um, <laughs> I'm educating, right? Like, can, can, can you imagine that when you say, I love you, you actually have to open up the file to show the proof? What kind of relationship is that? In other words, intuitively we understand that something can be true without having the proof. Intuitively we understand that. And how much more so for the existence of God? God is so true. God is the ultimate truth. God is the only truth. And if anyone thinks that, you know what, I'll believe that truth when you can show me proof, you're barking up the wrong tree. In mathematics, you can't do that. In mathematics, which is the most concrete thing in the world, you can't do that. So don't think, and now here's the point that I really want to make, okay? You see, so many people, because God can't be proven, they want to apologize for God. It's really heartbreaking. Or they think, God forbid, in their hearts that this is a sign of weakness of God, God forbid. A sign of weakness that God created a world where he can't be proven. Like Nebuch, God, you know, you made such a beautiful Grand Canyon, right? You know, the cosmos are so vast, but you couldn't quite pull it off where you can be proven. You came so close, God. You know, really, it really impressive. God, really, great job. 
Great. You know, but if I have just one note, <laughs> and please feel free not even to take it. Right? It's your world. But, you know, you forgot to make it so that you could be proven. It's not a mistake. But I want to take it in another step. And this is really the point I want to make with you. Look how much a sign of God's infinity and God's utter mastery over creation it is that he created a world where his fingerprints are absolutely everywhere and on everything, and yet in his infinity simultaneously made it that he can't be proven. Can you imagine? You're like a detective. Do you have any positive ID? We've got, yes, we've got fingerprints. We've got DNA. We've got, we've got absolutely everything. Where is he? I don't know. Have you, have, 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 <laughs> have you been tracking his movements? Yes. He's everywhere. He's in everything. Where is he? I don't know. That's mastery. Chas v'shalom, you should think of that as weakness. God forbid you should think of that as some kind of flaw. It is the icing on top of the cherry, on top of the gravy. I'm not going to order that dish, you know. (laughs) It's the ultimate on top of the ultimate. That God has made a world where he's absolutely everywhere and in everything, and he made it that he can't be proven. It's the ultimate sign of his mastery over everything. Do you understand that? It's not a flaw. It's not a weakness. It's not something that you have to apologize on behalf of God for. Now, I got to, I got to, tell you something, i got to share with you something, and I, I double-checked this number, because I, I, I mentioned this number earlier, and then, like yesterday, and then after I said it, I was thinking about it, and it's such a big number, I thought I got it so wrong that I was really embarrassed. I was like, how could I think that? Um, I'll tell you what it is in a moment, and I just double-checked it, so, so, but I, I'll tell you what I mean in a moment. There's something great, and I, I really recommend that you see this. Um, it's, a, it's a TED Talk, okay? And it's by Alexander Tsarius. It's called The Beautiful and Efficient Anatomy of Pregnancy. It's about nine minutes. I really recommend that you watch this, because you will see in front of your eyes a miracle. I mean, you, you want to you watch a miracle? You want to see a miracle? I'm telling you. Watch this video, and you will see a miracle happen in front of your eyes. What did he do? This man is like a, like a wild genius type, okay? And um, he is making like the, the logarithms, and he's working in, um, in imaging, okay? That's like MRIs, that type of thing, where they photograph what's going on, in, on inside your body. And he has put the latest, latest technology into imaging the um, uh, pregnancy, like the, um, the, the beginning from the very first cell, from actually the moment of conception. So it's just one cell, like the, the, the egg, into, a, into the birth of a child. 
But what he's been able to do is to, is to, make, to make it so vivid and real with the latest imaging technology that you can't even believe what it actually looks like. And then he's compressed it down to like a couple of minutes so that you see it go from an egg to a human being in front of your eyes with a level of detail and imagery that you've never seen before. And you're watching a human appear out of nowhere. That's the cumulative effect. You're like, wait a second. There was nothing there. And the early stages of a fetus are really weird looking. Okay? I mean, they're like alien creatures. They look like aliens. Okay? And it's like, and they're like just pieces of a person. Like even before it's actually an alien looking person, they're like just like chunks of flesh that have no, no, no human look whatsoever. So it's like really weird and wild. And to see that turn into a completed person, it's like, oh my, I can't believe it. Now, there, he himself, it's funny, he doesn't use the word God, but he says that there's, this, is only, this can only happen through divinity. He uses the word divinity a couple of times. He says it's, it, it can only, it's divine. It can only happen through divinity. All right, and this is like a top, top, top scientist. Now, here's the number I was referring to before. He zeroes in on a capillary. Okay, so a capillary is, I, I don't, it's basically a cluster of blood veins, okay, blood vessels. And he shows one little tiny one. And if you look at it, it looks like a, a bush, okay? Because it's, it's kind of got a, it's a cluster of, you know, they're, they're veins, little tiny veins, but it looks like, you know, you're looking at like a, you know, like a, like a bush. And now he's a mathematician. By the way, he says on the level of math, he can't even calculate the level of intelligence that it would take to program something like this. Can't even, he can't even begin to calculate it. And he says, and this is one of the top mathematicians in the world. Okay? Now, but here's what he did calculate, though, and this is the number I want to share with you. He looked at the capillary and all the little veins and the tubes, and he made a calculation of how, if you were to put them end-to-end, all these blood veins, right, how long it would be in in one human body. No, no, no. In one nine-month-old Okay, this is less than a year old, just nine months. Okay, actually, it's not even born yet. So it's not even nine months. It's just nine months within the, because when we say he's nine months, usually we're counting from the time that they're born, right? So this is while they're still a fetus, just nine months within the, so they're not even one day old, okay? How long is that, is that, is the tubing within the baby? So, I, 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 I said this over yesterday, and I said 67,000 miles. And then I was thinking about it, because I just heard it quickly, and I was, and I was so embarrassed, because I said, 67,000 miles? I, I must be an idiot, you know? How could I have said that? It must have been 67 miles. 
must have been 67 miles. Because if you can imagine 67 miles of tubing within a, within a, a, a newborn baby, and then, and then I was like, you know, I want to say this over today. I better go back to the video and check the number because I want to make sure that I'm being accurate. So I, I was expecting him to say 67 miles. And then I listened to it again. It's 60,000 miles. 60,000 miles of tubing in a newborn baby. Okay, so this brings us to Lagba Omer. So why were Rabbi Akiva's students dying? So it says that they didn't give sufficient covet, sufficient honor to each other. So, you know, The greatness of Torah study and why you have to keep on studying every single day and learning Torah every single day is because you can hear five different teachings and all five are good and all five make sense. But unless you stay in it, you don't get the sixth teaching, which is like the center of, of all the other teachings. And then you realize, oh, this was the piece of information that I was missing. The others made sense, but now they really make sense. Okay, so I don't know if this will trigger the same reaction in you. But this was my reaction to what I'm about to say. Do you know how to give someone the benefit of the doubt? In other words, we hear a lot of teachings about all the great things about giving someone else the benefit of the doubt. We know we've learned Rebbe Nachman of Breslov says that when you give someone else the benefit of the doubt, you bring peace into the world, right? We also have learned another teaching, which is that you, you, have to, you have to judge the entirety of the person, right? Because you don't know maybe he's acting this way because something else happened and you don't know about that, right? So, so I just want to say something very simple because I think that maybe this is the secret for me, and that's the key word, of how you can actually have a good eye for someone and actually give someone the benefit of the doubt. We know it's important to give someone the benefit of the doubt, but how do you do it? See, what's the connection between the fact that Rabbi Shemin Bar Yochai died today, was nifter today, was completed today, right, on Lagba Omer, and the fact that Rabbi Akiva's students stopped dying and that they weren't giving each other proper honor. And the answer is secrets. You see, if you, if you look at another person and you understand that they have secrets, if you look at another person and understand that you will never, never know the other person, See, what's the whole greatness of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai? He was revealing all the secrets of the Torah, or many of the secrets of the Torah, showing us how absolutely vast and amazing God is and the world is, and each other are. The problem with not giving proper honor to another person is because you know that you're right. 
you're the expert and you know that you're right. And because you're the expert and you know that you're right, you have the ability to say that the other person is wrong. Because who knows better than you? You're the expert. So I'm right and you're wrong. And how do I know that I'm right and you're wrong? Because I'm the expert. Because I know everything. Ah, but all of a sudden, when I realize there's so many secrets in the world, and that I don't know everything. See, Reb Shlomo defined what a, what a secret is. See, there are two types of secrets, he says. There's one type of secret where you tell the person, and then they know. Right? Like, ah, do, you know this? do you know that this person did this? Okay, so now that's a secret. Now you know the secret. He says, but that's not a real secret. The real type of secret is that after I tell you, you still don't know. (laughs) These are the secrets of the universe. You see, when all of a sudden, when all of a sudden I realize that I'm not the expert, that I can't be the expert, that I'll never be the expert because there's so many secrets in the world, then all of a sudden, how am I looking at you? The way that I look at another person completely changes. Because all of a sudden, it's like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what's going on inside of you. Did you know that you can look at a newborn baby? Did you know that they had a secret that they've got 60,000 miles of tubing in them? (laughs) I mean, to give you the... The slightest example. And now we're just talking about the goof, the body. What about the soul? What about the soul? So when I don't know about you, then all of a sudden I can judge you so much more favorably. Because I don't know. Because I don't know. All I know is I'm here and you're there. I remember I heard Reb Shlomo say one time, and I never forgot it. He said, can you imagine you're walking alone in the desert, and it's just you. You're walking, you're lost in the middle of the desert, and you see another Jew. And the first thing you do is you walk up to that Jew and you say, do you keep Shabbos? (laughs) Can you imagine? Like, you're lost in the middle of the desert. There's another human being here. Thank God there's another human being. I'm not alone. God, maybe you're saving me right now. Who knows? All of a sudden, you're applying your list of criteria on this other person? So this is the amazing thing. This is how to give someone else the benefit of the doubt. This is the connection between Lagba Omer and the students of Rabbi Akiva stopping dying. Because Lagba Omer is the secrets of the Torah, it's the secrets of each other. And then when you start applying that in a real way, then all of a sudden, you're not, you're not judging another person. You're not, you, you don't lack in the ability to give the other person covered because the other person is not a challenge to you anymore. It's not, a, it's not a, an oppositional relationship anymore where I have my opinion and he has his opinion and I'm right and he's wrong and all the rest and I know better. All that goes out the window. So now I want to take a step further which is, how about judging ourselves favorably? Right? This is about judging each other favorably. But what about judging ourselves favorably? And now here's the question. Do you know the secret of your own soul? 
Do you know the secret of your own soul? And I think that that probably, if you want to be honest, 100% of us have to say no. We don't know the secret of our own soul. So if you don't know the secret of your own soul, then for sure you have to judge yourself favorably. Because you don't even know the secret of your own soul. So how much do you have to honor yourself? You know, Shlomo was saying last night in the name of the Alter Rebbe, if you want to know the secret of how to do tshuva, tshuva means to return to God. If you want to know the secret to how to do tshuva, you have to have rachmanus on your soul. Rachmanus means mercy. You have to have mercy on your own soul. Imagine your soul is sitting like your soul, which is so great, is at your mercy. Can you imagine? Can you imagine if you like? It's going to sound a little far out, but let's just go for it. Can you imagine if you had like the Lubavitcher Rebbe and for whatever reason you were keeping him prisoner in your house? For whatever reason. And you're like, well, he's got to eat, right? I don't want him to die. I'm, I'm in charge of keeping him hostage. So you give him unkosher food to eat? Like, you've got the Lubavitcher Rebbe is captive in your house and you're feeding him unkosher food? Have mercy. Have mercy. What's our soul? Our soul is actually a piece of God. And it's reliant on us to give it sustenance, to keep it going, to manifest its power in this world. I mean... It's a whole other way of looking at your life, at our lives. To think, wow, I'm in charge of this awesome force. What do, what do I do with it? How can I service it? How can I be good to it? How can I take care of it? I've been in charge of taking this awesome bit of energy and directing it into the world. How should I do it? And what if, God forbid, we just decide to ignore it? Can you imagine if someone gave you the cure to cancer and you put it in your pocket and forgot about it? And then you put your pants in the washing machine and it got erased? And then after 120, someone said to you, well, what'd you do with it? Oh, yeah, well, you know, I had this thing at the thing, and I had to, you know, kind of, whatever. And I'm just wondering, I mean, each one of us has a soul, and each one of us has secrets. 
What are the secrets of our own souls? And then to think that we're the gatekeepers and we're in charge of somehow getting that information, that level of power and inspiration into the world. How do we do it? How do we do it? How don't we do it? What should we be doing? What shouldn't we be doing? It's an awesome responsibility. It's an awesome responsibility to be alive. It's an awesome responsibility to have a soul. So many of us think that it's just like extra credit. If I do, if I do X, if I do Y, okay, I'm a little ahead of the game. Most of my friends aren't doing any of these things. So if I do X or Y, I'm ahead of the game. So if we're comparing ourselves to the lowest common denominator, when at the same time we're holding like the keys to who knows what level of redemption in our hands, it might work for a little while, but at a certain point we got to say, wait a second, let me look at my own life from this perspective. The secrets of my own soul. So, so God should bless us. And let me just review and we'll just wrap it up. Let's just marvel at God's mastery over his creation. That he can be everywhere and in absolutely everything and simultaneously make it on purpose that he, can't be, that he can't be proven. To understand that that's not a weakness at all. And that we don't have to apologize for that. But that's actually a mind-blowing aspect of God's infinity. That God can be everywhere and in everything, and we can't at the same time catch him. And that there's so many secrets in the world. Each one of us has secrets. And when you understand that, that's going to humble us. And that that's going to make it so that we don't judge each other. And that we give each other the benefit of the doubt. And that we have to apply that standard to our own selves. That we have to understand that our own soul has secrets. And that we have to give ourselves the benefit of the doubt. And that we have to allow ourselves to see ourselves from the perspective of the keepers of this awesome power. And how can we service it appropriately? And Hashem should bless us that we should just unite together in love and in goodness and as we head toward the receiving of the Torah just to have the power to keep going every single day.